This episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast, was made possible by Global Blood Therapeutics and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Visit gbt.com to learn more. What's up, Warriors? We're here with another episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast with me, Dr. Z. And me, Dr. C. Dr. C, we, um, you know, we when we built this podcast, the vision had always been to bring together sickle cell physicians and sickle cell advocates. Let me tell you a story. So about two years ago, I was in Fort Lauderdale at a town hall for priapism, and I got to meet a bunch of male advocates for sickle cell disease. And, and you know, the thing about advocates is the male advocates, they're there, but there's not that many of them. There's a, hand, there's a handful of them. There's a lot more female advocates, it seems like to me. Oh, but I met these, this group of male advocates, and uh, we were doing introductions. We're going around the table. We're doing introductions. And I introduced myself. And there's a guy across the table from me. He stops. He's like, wait a minute. And I was like, uh-oh, I said something wrong. He's like are you the Twitter guy? <laughs> and I was like, y- yeah, I think so. That's what we call him around here too. So he gets up, this guy across the table from me, he gets up, he walks around. He's like, I just got to come around and give you a hug, man. <laughs> he walked all the way around the table. He gave me a hug and he was like, thank you. And uh, I'll never forget that, man, because, um, you know, I put in a lot of time into social media and I think back to that one interaction and how I um, I just felt appreciated in that moment. Um, but, but we've got that guy with us today, man. We've got blaze. We got blaze with us today. And I'm so excited to have you here, blaze. How are you, man? Stop trying to butter my biscuit, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I'm having a great day. I'm excited to be on this, uh, this podcast with the Twitter guy. I just want to contribute my piece, you know, I know you had an amazing lineup of, uh, you know, advocates already on the show, you know, so to be uh, in that group, like I always tell, you know, that is a, a very, very, you know, elite group. So for me to be a part of those advocates is just, you know, it says a lot to me. You know how you spoke about that, how that interaction made you feel right. This interaction makes me feel like I'm doing something right. You know, to just be. A I guest. appreciate that, man. No, I mean, I, I think that you know, one thing we don't recognize is all of us are in this fight together. Um, and we talk about patients being in the back of the bus, the back of the bus disease for patients. But, uh, you know, something something we forget is if you look across the aisle at the back of the bus, the doctors are right there too, man. You know, we're fighting with you guys just to get more awareness, more attention, more access. You know, the fight, we're, it's a street fight and we're in it together. But Blaze, man, I have a, I have a lot a lot of things to cover with you, dude. I, um, you know, obviously you're an advocate and, and you fight for sickle cell disease nonstop. I want to know a little bit more about your story though, man. I want to know a little bit about, you know, blaze blaze growing up. What, what, who was blaze growing up? Where did you grow up? How did that look? When did you recognize that sickle cell disease was an important, is going to be an important player in your life? Okay. So this is the thing. I, I didn't really recognize how, much it will alter my life until I was right at the point of approaching adulthood. So, you know, me as a child, I knew I was different. I knew I had this disease where I needed to go to the hospital. I need to get blood transfusions. I need to take these medications. Okay, cool. That's my life throughout my younger days and my teenage years. I realized that it was going to impact me once I was about to graduate high school. Sounds crazy. It was because in high school, I had dedicated my time and life to ROTC. I was up early in the morning to get to school, like six. I was with drill team. I was with color guard. I was, you know, earning all these badges and these mirrors, getting my uniform all star studded and stuff. Wow. Right. What? Because I think, you know, I'm about to go to the military, you know. <clears throat> I'm color guard commander. I'm drill team commander. I'm, you know in my uniform, walking around sharp with my beret on, you know, boom, right? I got my plan on that. I'm going to go to the military. I'm going to get the military to pay for my schooling. And that's how my life is going to be. Ta-da, the end, get wife and kids. So (laughs) senior year, got my uniform on. The recruiters are coming up to the school. They're recruiting. You know, we want to see these people who've been boom, boom. So I'm here with my uniform on. I got it dry cleaned. My shoes are shiny. I got my facial hair all cut off, you know, my cool yeah. so 
I'm talking to the recruiter. Yeah, man, it's amazing. You know, we can't wait to get you signed up. Boom, boom, boom. Cool. So we're just talking to him like, so my sickle cell is not going to be a problem. You know that? He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, sickle cell. I was yeah. like, yeah, I have sickle cell. Flag on, flag on the plane right, traveling. Right. Got to remind that. Yeah. Bring it all the way back. Sickle cell. He's like, yeah, you know, that, that disqualifies you from, you know, doing anything, you know. And so I was heartbroken because ninth grade, that's, that's my plan, you know. 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, I'm just excelling, you know. You can get a ribbon for doing this. If I join SGA, I can. I, I became the treasurer just so I could get a ribbon to go on my uniform. You know, I was trying to get all the accolades up. You know, if you participate in this, you get a ribbon. You do this, you Sabre Day. I got my Sabre where you get your sword handed to you by somebody important in your life. You, you know, wear it around. It's a real sword. You know, I was, my, I was set. So he's like, yeah, no, that disqualifies you. So imagine me being an adult, right? I got all my plans mapped out. It's already mapped out. And then he was like, no, nah, we got to scratch all that. You know, you got to, that's not the life that you thought you was going to have. And so then I'm just confused because it's just like, I thought I was about to get ready to go to college. I thought I was about to get ready to go do this and do that. And I kind of, to this day, still live with that resentment in my heart. You know, when I see my peers, you know, in the military, I'm envious. You know, this is a part of jealousy that I live with. When I see, you know, my peers not living up to their full potential, if that makes sense. You know, people with able bodies not doing, people with able bodies not trying. You know, right now, if you're healthy, right, and you have a clean background, you could be a police officer, you could be a firefighter, you can go to the military. You that's out there you know it's not just like no we're not taking any more police officers we don't need these first responders you can do anything if you have an able body you know that's one thing that i wish i had you know just the ability to wake up in the morning and be physically able you know i'm disqualified out the gate not because i have a criminal record my record is clean i have nothing not because you know i don't have the desire i have the desire i have the motivation not because you know i don't want to i do want to but because i'm physically not able to do it so there was a time where i was in denial man i could do that if i wanted to I, I could do that and so i would get in the gym i would start you know you know testing my body and it's not i'm not able to i had to come to terms with that that is i'm not able to do it of course I'm mentally i'm going to tell myself i can do whatever but my body has to follow me and my body won't that's how i grew up and so then i had to come up with a plan b and so then I start asking myself, what am I adamant about, you know? And throughout me having sickle cell, I had built so many relationships um, just in the community and, you know, with doctors and nurses and stuff like that. Like if I go to my hospital right now, I know everybody on a first name basis, you know, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, oh, I'm doing all right. I ain't seen you here in a long time. I've been healthy, you know, that type of thing. So that's where I'm at now. But how I got into where I'm at now, I guess that would be a different question you would ask, but I just gave you the background on my youth. Wow, man. No, that, that really sets the stage there. And I see Dr. Callahan looks like he's um, contemplating that story a lot. No, you know, I I saw a young man in clinic, 18-year-old, the other day, and he was going through a rough time. And basically, it had just occurred to him that sickle cell is going to be this big part of his life and that, you know, he, he might die from complications of sickle cell and he was having a hard time adjusting to that. And so, I mean, to hear this story where sickle cell took something you really wanted away from you, it kind of mirrored what, what I was talking about with this young man. And how, you know, how did you, transition from that because you could just be bitter and go down a dark path and probably make your sickle cell worse and so how long did it take you to, to get over that and come up with plan b and move forward with plan b and you, you maybe never get over it but you you get past it i guess well i like you said i haven't gotten over it i i was bitter for a long time like i said but not bitter to the point where i'm like you know having negative thoughts but it was just like dang you know i was wondering about what could have been like I even like have dreams now still about dang what would it what would my life look like if it was just an alternate dimension where I didn't have sickle cell you know I think it took some time I would say probably about five years because you know 
I was just wondering what I was going to do or, you know, how I was going to go about getting, you know, to, to the next step in life. So I had a friend. His name was, was Sean Salisbury. He, he passed from sickle cell disease, um, which is crazy that I'm doing this thing with you guys because his sister just passed three weeks ago. And they were like sister and brother. and um, Both with sickle cell. Both with sickle cell, yeah. One with SS, one with SC. And Sean passed in like 2015. And his sister just passed uh, three weeks now. But Sean was telling me, hey, man, come to camp. Come to sickle cell camp. Come to sickle cell camp. And I'm like, nah. Okay, so growing up, my family life was really rough. You know, my mom struggled with addiction. So I wasn't getting the best care, you know, out the gate because, you know, you, you have your, your parents that are supposed to take you to these appointments and you're not making it to these appointments because, you know, your mom is struggling. So I always wanted to go to sickle cell camp as a youth. And there was a camp where you would be around other kids with sickle cell disease. You know, you would meet and make lifelong friends. And so I wanted to go every year. Can I go? Can I go? It would always be, yeah, we're going to get you there. And I would never get there. And so when I became an adult and my friend was telling me to come be a counselor at camp, I didn't want to go because I had that resentment. I'm like, you know, I wanted to go as a kid and experience it as a child. You know, that fun, not feeling like an eyeball, not feeling, you know what I'm saying, like I can't keep up because everybody there is dealing with the same thing I'm dealing with. He kept trying to convince me to come. And then I eventually was like, you know what, I'll, I'll come to camp. You know what, you want me to come so bad, I'll come. I came and I became a camp counselor. And so when I got there, I feel like it was a saving grace because even though I wasn't doing it as a child, I still was able to meet peers with sickle cell disease and develop and build those relationships. And I still was participating in activities with the kids because I was their counselors, you know, so I felt like that was a saving grace because that reintroduced sickle cell to me in a positive way, you know, because we were dealing with me despising sickle cell because of what happened with me not being able to go to the military. So with camp, I was reintroduced to sickle cell in a positive light. Like, you know, there is this community of people just like you where, you know, they're having fun and they're not thinking about the negative stuff, because if we were to just think about what could happen we wouldn't be, you know, focused on the positive things that are happening, you know? So I became a counselor, boom. The next year I come back, counselor, boom. Third year I come back, boom. And I'm just meeting different people. I'm meeting kids, kids that have aged out of camp now that I've built relationships with, know their parents, things like that. Still check on them to this day. They have my number, stuff like that. So that was sickle cell. That's how I got back on the good track with sickle cell. And so... I was just thinking, you know, this is before I decided to be like an advocate, you know, because like I said, it was that before and we gradually getting into me loving sickle cell again. When Sean passed, it was I was at home. I was in the bed and um, my phone is always silent at night. It's always silent. This night, my phone wasn't silent. It was ringing off the hook three o'clock in the morning. So I go, I pick up the phone. I'm just wondering who is blowing me up. And it's his sister. She's telling me that, you know, he's not doing well. He's at Emory. And I just talked to him. You know, we were had just spoke. So this episode, it just went crazy through the course of the night. For me just speaking to him before I went to bed to now me going to bed. And all of a sudden, you know, I get down to Emory. The doctor came to us, you know, with the saddest face ever. And they wouldn't let us in the room. So I knew something, you know, something was happening. They say he aspirated. They say he vomited, but he choked on it, went back down the wrong pipe or something. And the acid from his stomach burned his lungs. And, you know, there was nothing they could do. Like, it was like mush, I guess. But then he went. And, and then after that, I just knew I couldn't stop being involved in sickle cell that was the uh the first person who i knew was sickle cell who just passed you know who i had a, a, a great relationship with and i feel like it happened for a reason like you know him getting me back to loving sickle cell thinking positively of sickle cell because i have sickle cell i don't want to think negative of sickle cell you know so when he passed i just stayed of course i didn't um i didn't quit i didn't stop so I, um, like I said, I had built relationships by being a camp counselor at the, uh, it's called Camp New Hope. It's here in Georgia. 
It's a camp for kids with sickle cell disease. And it's a part of the Sickle Cell Foundation of Georgia, where I work now. So I didn't get, I didn't quit. Uh, so with the camp director, I built a relationship with her and I applied at the foundation, Sickle Cell Foundation of Georgia. And so I started working there um, in 2017 and I've been working there ever since. And I just hit the ground running and I just been trying to be a part of everything that I could be a part of. And I think how I met you was I wasn't planning on submitting myself. I was just looking for other people with sickle cell to refer them, you know, like, hey, they're going to fly you to Baltimore. You're going to be on board. Boom, boom, boom. So I'm recommending other people and I'm not putting myself down. And then the contact who I'm talking to, she's like, don't you have sickle cell? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, you have you experienced pills? And I'm like, yeah. She was like, well, why, why don't you why don't you do it? You know, and I'm like, mm, and I just decided to do it. So when I decide to do it, we go down to Baltimore and I meet some people speaking on this board. And that was my first time, you know, lending my voice to, you know, like a, a trial. You know, that was my first time. But from that, I created those relationships with the people who I talked to in the room. And so I feel like it came full circle because you're not going to believe this, but it's funny. The lady who I met in that room, right? I do a poem. I'm not thinking much of it. I'm just, you know, submitting my two cents on Sickle Cell. So the poem reaches Mike in, you know, Mike, we talk about Mike. The poem reaches Mike. Mike sits right next to Jensi at their little hub. So we're like, he was like, he's playing it on this computer. This is what they tell me. He's playing on the computer and she, he's like, man, I wish I could get a hold of this guy. And then she's like, I know him, you know, his name is Blaze, you know, boom, boom, boom. So that's why I say it came full circle because the thing that happened in Baltimore, me meeting her, if I had not decided to meet her that day, you know what I'm saying? Then Mike would have never been able to put the two and two together. So after that, he reached out to me, somebody reached out to me and I ended up speaking in New Orleans. And like I said, I just kept going. I just didn't stop. So after I spoke in New Orleans, it was in front of like 200 people. And they were just like, uh, are you going to be nervous? Are you going to be, are you going to be a problem? I was like, nah, I mean, I enjoy public speaking. So it's not really a, a problem where I would be like scared or afraid. So I did that in New Orleans and then I did some other things. Then they wanted to sign me to a, um, a speaking program where I would just be speaking in different places and stuff like that. And, and then I, I, overnight, I just became an advocate. It just like, you know, just happened. Yeah, it wasn't like I just was like, oh, I want to be an advocate. You know, it was kind of just like, that's just how the the dice or the cookie crumbled or whatever you want to say. So, yeah. So I've been a part of it ever since. And every time somebody asks me to do something, like, I'd be really getting overbooked because I, I never tell people no or I can't do it. You know, I always want to do and say as much as I can and reach as many people as possible. So when people come to me with opportunities, I never go, oh, I got to look at my calendar or I got, you know what I'm saying? Or I got to see you or I got to know. It's always just, yes, I'll do it. Like when you did the podcast, I didn't know what I was doing today or if I had stuff to do. I had some meetings today, had to move around, but I just wanted to be be a part of it. I want to be a part of everything. Yeah, thanks for moving them around. Look, man, I, I got to tell you, what you know, it sounds like that this path was like fast. You know, you, you, you became an advocate and a big time advocate and- I'm not going to reveal names or company names here, but I was having a conversation with the CEO of one of the companies in the sickle cell space, and we were talking about how it's important to engage the community and this type of stuff. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, it's people like literally the CEO of this company says it's people like Blaze who we want to be our voice. And in that moment, I was like. <laughs> this guy made it, you know, like this, this, it, you know, like the C-suite is talking about blaze because you have, there's something about you and how you deliver stories and information that's really unique. And you're right. Your ability to speak in front of crowds is fantastic. I want to circle back though, blaze to something you talked about earlier and in, in losing this, this warrior friend of yours, this brother, this blood brother of yours. And you talked about how it imp increased your resolve and your passion and your fire to do more and not stop and not quit. Man, the more that I'm growing close to this community, I feel like a lot of a lot of these sickle cell warriors around the world, around the country are friends of mine now. And, and the more that that's happening, I'm realizing how much loss there is in this community. And it seems like we're losing warriors that... I couldn't call friends before that I can call friends now. We're losing them almost, I mean, like monthly, weekly. 
you know, when you have, as a sickle cell warrior yourself, man, I mean, that's got to be, I feel like as a whole, the sickle cell community needs like, I don't know, man, like debriefings and therapy from just that, just losing those people who you're so close to over and over and over again. And it's like a mirror because you're seeing a reflection of yourself in that story. How, how do you, how do you work through that, man? Man, that's a tough, tough question to answer because it's like you close your eyes and another person is gone. You know, you spin around three times and another person is gone. Just the person we talked about, Jewel, we talked about how that was just like, wow. You know what I'm saying? Because it was just like, not to say that any life matters more than the other, but it was just like she was out, you know, vocal everywhere, you know. And not to say sickle cell can't snatch anybody up at any given time, but it was just like, crazy you know what i'm saying because the jewel is like the equivalent of like shamanica like a tiana like it's just like you know it's crazy so when she like a lakia like it's crazy so when jewel left i don't it's gonna sound crazy but it made it like more real for me because i i know people pass left and right but I'm like, Jewel, like, nah, that, that ain't happened, you know, you know, not Jewel, not Jewel. And so when it happened, I was just like, dang, like, you really can go at any time, even if you're on top of your health. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not saying like one life matters more than the other, but some people take care of themselves better than other people. That's just a given fact. You are him, you're a doctor, you know these things. So there's some people who see their people regularly, who are getting their checkups regularly. They see their pulmonologists, they see everybody regularly. And, you know, like me, I go, I just came from an appointment. You see what people, when you're supposed to see them, you know what's going on in your body. When they posted about her passing, I was devastated. And then they said she had pulmonary hypertension. I was kind of like shaking in my boots because that's literally what I was dealing with in the moment. So my oxygen saturation had been low. And so with my oxygen saturation being low, I wanted to know why it was, why it was low. And so my hematologist referred me to a heart doctor. So with me seeing my heart doctor, he was like, yeah, we're going to have to uh, get you a uh, cath because your pressure is kind of high. And so with my pressure being high, I'm like, so what does that mean? Do I have pulmonary hypertension? He was like, yeah, you have pulmonary hypertension, but we can, you know, try to uh, get it before it gets worse and, you know, get you on some treatments so that we could, you know, try to reverse the effects, I guess, you know, just try to get me out of the woods, get me back in a better position. So all I hear is in my mind, I'm going to pass. Like my pulmonary hypertension is going to go out of control. It's going to keep getting more pressure, more pressure, more pressure. My oxygen saturation is going to keep getting low. I'm going to have to start carrying around oxygen. And the next thing you know, I'm just going to be gone. That's what I heard. And so I'm super worried, you know, turns out I get the heart cath. He's like, we got to do the heart cath because an echocardiogram and, you know, all that stuff is cool, but we want to get something invasive so we can know, you know, how bad the pressure is. So I get the heart cath and I'm super nervous. You know, I'm thinking nothing but negative thoughts while they're getting me ready to, you know, do this procedure where they go in through my groin, go all the way up to my heart and measure pressure. And by the way, man, me meanwhile, all of us are shaking in our boots because you're sharing the story on Facebook as you're going through it. Right? You're like giving us updates. I'm just stupid nervous. Man, I get the heart cast and it was like, you don't have pulmonary hypertension. And I was like, what you mean? It was like, you don't have no pulmonary hypertension, like none whatsoever. And I was just like, nah, that can't be right because, you know, the doctor just told me when he did this that I have pulmonary hypertension. He's like, no, you don't have any. I just did the heart cast. I'm looking at it on the screen. You have no pulmonary hypertension. Yours is 15. He was like, that's normal. I was just like, thank you, God. Like, thank you, Jesus. I was just so happy because it was just like, man, I'm trying to tell you, I was getting my affairs in order. I was just like, you know, I'm going to be out of here soon. And I wasn't even sad. I was just like, you know, I was overwhelmed, but I don't fear dying. I just fear, like, not being around people I love anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, the act of me, my heart start beating or being in pain, like, that's not really. I always say this. Do you remember what it was like before you lived? No, you can't remember that. So how am I going to remember what it's like when I pass? Like, lights was on, lights was off. That's all, you know. It's not like once I die, I'm just going to be in excruciating pain. It's just literally over, you know. That sounds weird, but that's how I always should be looking at life. Like, 
you don't remember what it was like before you was born. So how are you going to remember what it was like when you passed? So, so I don't fear death, but I just fear like my loved ones just being sad, really. Yeah. Wow. Wow, man. That was, that was heavy. That was a heavy conversation. But look, man, here you are. You're healthy. Mm-hmm. You're taking care of your body. Super. You don't have pulmonary hypertension. No, I don't. I don't have that. Yeah. And I feel like that's like, um, you know, it's the second part of the album. Right now you, you, you feel like you get to start fresh and you get to, it's like a second lease on life, right? You, you're getting your order, your affairs in order and you're getting ready for the end, but it's actually the beginning all over again. Right. And now you've got, and now you've got this blueprint, right? Now you've got this blueprint. Now you're, now you're this advocate. You've got the ear of all the important people in the game and they want to hear from you. They want to know what blaze says. They want to know, they want to know how blaze can help them. What's next for you, man. Where's this going? How are you writing the story? What are you trying to change? How about let's start there. What are you trying to change? I'm trying to change the way sickle cell is received by people. You know, a lot of people, even African-American, even though it's African-American disease, don't know exactly what sickle cell disease is. You know, I feel like it's the stepchild. It's just like it's the oldest genetic blood disorder but with the least amount of breakthroughs. So it's like... How can something be older than everything else, but the effort is not, you know, it's not there. So I want to just create, man, create and just change the perception of sickle cell. I want us to be on TV. We're never on TV. We're never, we're never, we're never commercials about sickle cell people, you know, that. but you always can turn on your TV and find out something about you know, every other disease, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like we don't get the notoriety and I don't know why, but I kind of know why, but we're not going to get into that. It's just crazy. And so right now I'm just in the, in, in the phase of creating, like I told you, we talked about it yesterday and not going to say too much, but I want to create something for people with sickle cell and I want people with sickle cell disease to star in it. And I want, you know, us to just make a big wave. And I feel like with this first project that we're working on right now, it's a musical. It's going to be voiced by people with sickle cell disease. Uh, we're going to have a narrator on there, you know, a doctor or somebody, you know, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. But yeah, I'm just excited for when it comes to fruition, when it premieres. I just want education. I feel like that's super important. And like right now, if I ask somebody, hey, what is sickle cell disease? I don't know. Like, you know. I, I want to. I want people to be able to know what exactly what it is, without their brains hurting or you know, just like for example, when a person has has a has a baby, right? A baby has sickle cell disease. Let's say that, and you want to know, hey, what does this mean for my child? The doctor, like you said yesterday, I want you to know that I was paying attention. You spoke about how you're not able to get all this information in in this amount of time. How you know. You see a patient and you want to explain something to them and you, you can't explain it all to them because the time, you just don't have that time. So that's why you said cheat codes. We went over that yesterday, right? Did we? we did. We cool. did. So you were paying attention. I love it. Right. Right. So <laughs> with the musical, I want somebody to be able to say, hey, what is sickle cell? What does that mean for my child long term? And the next thing you know, a doctor can just go to this, pull this up and it's informational. It's fun. And it gives you everything you need to know. So you can take that and you can pass that on to the husband. Hey, watch this. So this is what we know our child has to look forward to. You know what I'm saying? Not just, oh, it's a genetic blood disorder and it may cause your child some pain. And, you know, they'll, a parent is not going to be ready with just that little piece of information that they're going to receive in that doctor's appointment. They need something that they can look at. It's a visual. It's fun. It's not so dark. Because that's what you hear sometimes when you receive these, you know, these words from these doctors, basically. Hey, you know, your child, you know? Yeah. So oh, I wanted something sure. fun, informational, instructional, yeah. voiced by people with sickle cell. So it's more authentic. And I just want to go from there. I can't wait to see I love this. It, dude. So how, how did you get into that? How I, I, I don't think of the ROTC guys as writing poetry <laughs> and music. Uh I used to write poetry as a kid. Um, when it was introduced in high school, haiku, haikus and all types of stuff like that, just poetry. My English teacher, he got me really, really, really into poetry. So 
it was kind of always just like a hobby of mine. Like I do music on the side and it's just a, a form of expression. One day I was just thinking about what I was talking about. How can people get this information, but in a fun way? Because sometimes you tone doctors out. Sometimes, you know, you're watching a YouTube video and you tone it out. You want something that is going to stick with you and something that you can feel good about. So I just started writing. And then before I know it, I had a whole musical and I had characters that I drew and I just pitched it. And then when I pitched it, they loved it. And then after that, they gave the green light and then we just started working. That's awesome, man. That's that's just awesome, man. Um, so, you know, Blaze, one thing I want I want to circle back to this real quick. You were talking about your childhood and you were talking about. I mean, obviously that formed you a little bit in your experience. I asked Phil this question and, and, and it took him a little bit of time to get to an answer, but I want to ask you the same question, man. If you could go back and tell the kid version of you something about life that you've learned in your last few decades on earth, what would you go back and tell that kid about sickle cell disease now that he didn't know then? It's not that bad. Um, embrace it. it. I was chosen. I feel like I was chosen. You know, I used to look at it as a curse, but now I feel like it was who I was supposed to be. I feel like I handle it way well now. And even as a kid, I never shied away from telling people. Like I have friends or peers, no, I tell people later on down the line, or you know, if I feel like I'm gonna be in a stronger relationship, I'll tell them. I was always a child, just tell you out the gate, you know. I have sickle cell, yeah, I have sickle cell. Why are you agile? I have sickle cell. So now I feel like I was chosen, and that's what I would tell him. Like, it wasn't an accident. This is who you're supposed to be. And, you know, that would that's probably what it would be all I would tell him. So I could give him the confidence to go through life thinking positive instead of pessimistic. Like I would be more optimistic about me not being able to go to the military as opposed to me being pessimistic and waving the, wasting those five years just thinking negative, you know, thinking sad. I would think, you know, it was God telling me, no, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to go to the military and, you know, have the kid and, you know, cut out generic life. You know, that's what it is. People want to go get a degree and, marry and settle down into just what everybody is shown on tv that's how your life is supposed to plan out it's supposed to be easy it's supposed to be you have a plan and you go but it's not that easy you you know i feel like you're guided through life uh the no's that you think are no's are really yeses to something else wow i love that man that's that i could i could talk to you all day dude i could talk to you all day um you know i always say this man we study sickle cell disease um, I don't know, a day, day and a half in med school, maybe. We as sickle cell physicians are learning about sickle cell disease from you. I mean, we're learning from the warriors. You guys are teaching us. You guys are making us better doctors. And that's why having you on this podcast is the most meaningful thing in the world. Um, because to the other physicians who are listening to this, to the trainees who are listening to this, man, this is this is what they need to hear. They need to know sickle cell disease is it's more than um, it's more than a kid in pain in the hospital. It's ward right it's 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 a life and it's a life of someone who was chosen and it's somebody who's chosen to make a difference um and, and that person's name is blaze right and and you're just you're you're one product of that but we've seen them all we've seen we've seen the blazes we've seen the fails and the the demetrius's and the hertz's and the tiana's and then the shamanicas all of you guys make us better thank you for that you know though before i let you go you know i'm gonna have an ask of you because it's not like we're going to let you leave without spitting a few bars for us. We know that you're extremely talented to the point that your words move people to have you, you know, come talk to their companies and to mobilize the sickle cell warriors. You've got power behind those words. Let's hear some of those words, man. Want to hear like sickle cell? Want to hear like... Give us something sickle cell. This is a sickle cell podcast, so you got to give us something sickle cell. I can give you my poem that I wrote. Let's do it. It would. Now I got pain in my shoulders. Man, I got pain in my knees. You see, I got to take it easy. Can't just do what I please. I could hop in the pool and then be dying to breathe. I got goals that I set out that I may never achieve. I mean, that's just what they say when they talk my disease. But I don't pay it no mind because it's a must I succeed. I drank them fluids. Now they scared of me now. Plus, I'm too prayed up to let it worry me now. 
pain management. That's just how I'm getting by. Doctor tripping because he's thinking that I'm getting high. But that ain't never the case. And these pills should be for comfort, never having to chase. You got a problem with me, doctor, tell me that to my face. I'm in a battle with myself, now tell me that ain't a race. Blaze. Wow. Nice. Amazing, dude. <laughs> dude, man, I am, uh, I'm proud. I'm proud to be part of a community that has advocates like you. Um, keep doing your thing, man. And and don't forget about us when you when you get to the top and uh, your musical <laughs> wins awards, yeah, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get like y'all. Please, man. No. Yeah, we want to be at the premiere. <laughs> we got to get you up here to Detroit when, hey, when man, the world I'm opens down. up. We got to get you up here to Detroit. Down for whatever. Uh, I'm excited. Everybody keeps saying that when the world opens up. When man, is the world going to open I don't up? Know. Hopefully soon, man. Let's 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 hope. But uh, listen, man. Keep doing your thing. Keep handling your business, man. And uh, thank you for everything you do. It was awesome. Thanks for coming on, Blaze. We appreciate you so much. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me on. Cheat Codes is brought to you by our founding sponsor, Global Blood Therapeutics. GBT is a biopharmaceutical company committed to discovering, developing, and delivering life-changing treatments that provide hope to underserved patient communities, including sickle cell disease. GBT is grounded by a mission-driven culture and built with a team of experienced and passionate people committed to making a difference in the communities it serves. Cheat Codes is grateful to GBT for sponsoring today's episode and serving the sickle cell community. All right, Dr. Z, now I get to catch up on what's going on in social media. How's your clubhouse and Snapchats and um, TikToks? Yeah, man. So, you know, I mean, I I love being where the Warriors are. That, that's, that's, those are my people. I like being um, accessible to them, around them, learning from them. Um, and I've been doing a lot of that. Uh, you know, one question that seems to come up over and over again. Warriors ask me all the time. They say, Dr. Z, what do we, what do, we do when we're dealing with somebody who doesn't believe we're in pain? When we're in that encounter, when we're in the middle of the encounter where somebody's treating us poorly or not believing that we're in pain, what's your advice as a physician for us as a patient in that moment to get to where we need to get? How do we behave? What do we say? What are the buzzwords? That question bothers me a lot. Um, you know, I always struggle answering that question. And... Um, the fact that we are having patients with a catastrophic, debilitating disease that's causing pain from a deprivation of oxygen to tissues, literally spending their time on social media trying to curate their approach to accessing pain medicine or equitable treatment in the hospital is disgusting. And I honestly don't know, Dr. Mike, how to answer this question. I, I think about it often. I mean, you know, I've had conversations around, hey, maybe you talk about the NHLBI guidelines, you know, go in armed with the 2014 guidelines that say that after, you know, from the time you hit the hospital, 60 minutes to your first antibiotic, your first pain medicine, depending on what you're there for. If they can't get an IV, give it to them sub-Q. But 60 minutes. We know labs don't matter. We know labs don't show pain. We know vitals don't show pain. But the warriors will respond and say, yeah, sometimes when we try that, physicians get more upset because they think we're being know-it-alls or that we're attacking them and their plan. This is a problem. And, and, I, and I really don't know how to advise people properly on this issue. I think we certainly have a problem in medicine where we are, um, we talk at patients, not, not necessarily to patients. And um, I think we may have, you know, different priorities on, 
on how to care for patients in the moment uh, compared to what the patients need. And I, I don't know, I, I think that this is something that we need to thoughtfully approach and, um, you know, give the warrior some resources and and how doctors think and, and, and how to unlock that and how to get what you need from a physician in that type of a encounter. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's a thing that, you know, that you have to deal with. It pisses you off. You would hope that um, our colleagues don't come with biases against our patients, that they know the proper way to treat a patient with sickle cell who's having a pain crisis and they can um, act on it quickly. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we, we do this podcast and, and do a lot of advocacy and talk to a lot of our colleagues is, is to try to make sure that's the case. But we also know we live in the real world and that's not all the case. And I, I think the thing that makes it really challenging is there's a lot of different reasons for that. So there are some people who are jerks and, you know, if they're being a jerk and you, you try to call them on it or, or even, you know, politely help them come to the right answer, it might not be very effective because, you know, they're, they're they're not well-intentioned. I think, though, a lot of people really are well-intentioned and, and they're just not very knowledgeable about it. I think it's true that, you know, if you come and say, here's the NHLBI guideline, here's how it should be done, people probably push back on that too, right? They they feel like they're, they shouldn't, but they feel like they're being uh, questioned and called out for not knowing something and um, and and maybe they have a negative negative reaction to that. So I can I can see where that would be an issue. I think that the key both ways is building, you know, sort of a, a personal bond. And th this isn't always easy. You know, the doctor may be in a big hurry. They always are. ER doctors um, always are, by definition. I, I think, you know, give it, giving them some insight into you um, can help. Like, you know, I, I like to knit and I was doing my knitting and then I had this pain and I've had pain likes before and Dr. Z is my doctor and he does a great job taking care of me and he says when I get this pain to do this and this and that's what I did and I, I think you know then that person sort of builds a bond with you they get to know you a little bit and they get to maybe understand you, that, you, that you understand what you're going through and that you've done um, you know certain things and, and, and I think then if you say and when this has happened in the past, this is what's helped me. And um, I think the other thing is, you know, if you can have an advocate. So I, I, I think, you know, sometimes our folks are having trouble in an ER and they call us and, and we get on the phone and, you know, try to be polite. But uh, we talk to the, the doctor taking care of the patient and make sure the patient gets what they need. Um, and sometimes education comes better from a colleague than it does from a patient and I think to the extent you can have advocates um, that's helpful I, I think too you know it's, it's human nature when you're frustrated like that and especially if you're in pain and you're feeling terrible to lash out but I, I think that should be a last resort I mean I think you really should try to also give the the treating team the benefit of the doubt and not think that they're the jerk or that they're the the person you're not gonna not gonna be able to get through to, but you know maybe they're busy, maybe they're having a bad day, and I think if you talk to them like that, like you have empathy for what they're going. I know you're probably really busy, and I know you know you probably don't take care of a lot of people with sickle cell. But I I think that works a lot better than than shouting at people or, or causing problems. And, you know, sometimes you have to do that too, but I think it's, it's better to use that as a last resort. Yeah. And one of the things that I tell my patients is call me, let me do the shouting. Um, someone's treating you poorly. You call me and I'll call the ER and I'll yell yeah, at them. Cause yeah, almost always that doesn't work. It winds up with the doctor being mad at you, you not getting the, the care that you need, you, you being more aggravated and, and that, that's usually bad for, for pain or whatever's going on. I also tell them, you know, it's important to advocate for yourself when you're well. So if you're a sickle cell patient of mine listening to this right now, I'm requesting you. When you have an experience in the ER, I want you to send letters, emails to 
the Children's Hospital of Michigan executives. Let them know how your experience was. Was it good? Was it bad? What happened? What went wrong? Let them know. Advocate for yourself and say things like, what are you doing for sickle cell patients? Push them on it. And I wouldn't discount the good part. You might think that's kind of silly to send a letter when something's good. Um, and, and even when it's bad, if there's some things that were good, I think it's good to put that in too, because people love getting kudos and reinforcing that, you know, I think if somebody does a really great job taking care of you and they get a, a kind letter back, boy, they're going to do that every time now. Right. Cause that's just so rewarding. And two, if you know, you had a bad experience, but somebody really helped you out during that, or there was parts of it that were good. I think acknowledging that and, and, and calling that out makes your other part of the story sound more credible and it gets accepted better. So I, I think, um, you know, both, both sides of the story are really important, but I think it is, I think it really is important to provide feedback because, you know, we, we do as physicians, you know, advocate for our patients. We talk to other physicians when our patients have had bad experiences. We talk to the administration when it seems like a systemic problem, but uh, you know, sometimes that's just how uh, the doctors are complaining, but I, I think some, in some ways it's more powerful coming from patients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there you go, guys. Um, a little inside look from two sickle cell docs. Um, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I hope that this offers you a little bit of insight into how doctors think. All right, Cheat Codes listeners, we are back with another segment with a word, with an important word, a word that we talk about often, um, something that comes up in clinic frequently. Dr. Mike, uh, you know, as we generally tend to do, I'm going to riddle you a little bit with this one. All right. Let's see if I can get it. So the word of the day today is a test. It's a test that we use to identify people who may have sickle cell disease that is causing problems with their ability to deliver blood effectively to their brain. The SAT test? No, it's not. That was a terrible riddle, man. This is a test that is non-invasive and allows for us to identify people who may be high risk for a, uh, for a permanent neurologic consequence of sickle cell disease. Oh, you mean the stroke screen? The stroke screen. You know, warriors may say the stroke screen is the artist formerly known as... TCD or transcranial Doppler? Yeah, that's right. All right. Another riddle solved. <laughs> so, yeah, so the stroke screen or the transcranial Doppler ultrasound um, has been used now for, for uh, a few decades. Um, and I'm going to break it down a little bit. So trans means across. And cranial means your skull, your head. And Doppler is, um, there's a, a thing called the Doppler effect, which basically has to do with the way sound is if you're coming toward it or going away from it. So when blood's flowing, it's it's coming toward you or it's going away from you. Um, and it makes a different sound on the ultrasound machine. So that's what the Doppler is. And then the ultrasound is a machine I think it's most famous for when people are pregnant you can get pictures of the baby from in, inside the womb but it's it's a technique that bounces little sound waves off of things and can kind of make out the the shape and and density of them from um, what comes back so it's it's kind of like what a whale does or a dolphin it sends out sound waves they bounce off and then it detects them when they come back um, so this one they they measure um, the flow of blood in the arteries in the brain. So they have to do that. Like you said, it's non-invasive. So they have to do it from outside. So it's transcranial. And what they're looking at is how fast the blood is flowing. And there's this uh, thing called Poisson's law, which, which has to do with uh, when blood's flowing through a tube, if you narrow the tube, then the blood has to flow a lot faster. So it's like when you pinch a hose. That's what I always tell people. You know, when you got the hose running and you pinch it and then the water shoots out faster, um, That that's based on Poisson's law. So um, 
you know, doc, Dr. Adams and others figured out that um, in sickle cell, there's a, there's a high risk of stroke. And that risk of stroke uh, correlates with or is, um, you know, proportional to this blood flow change that they can see on the ultrasound. And, and we sort of cartoonishly say the reason for that is the sickle cells damage the blood vessels and then they get narrower, like you're pinching the hose, so the blood flows faster. And if they're a certain amount of narrow, then the blood flows faster than 200 centimeters per second. And if that's the case, then you're at a very high risk of stroke. So there was a, a study done, you know, now over 20 years ago that uh, looked at blood flow. And we, we talked about this study in one of our earlier episodes. It was called the STOP trial. And the STOP trial looked at using this transcranial Doppler ultrasound. In episode two, we go into a lot of detail about this, but to identify people at high risk of stroke. And then if you were at high risk, uh, see if transfusions could prevent the strokes. And they did. So then it became standard to do this stroke screen on everybody with SS between age two and 16 years once a year. Um, so that's transcranial Doppler ultrasound or stroke screen. So what you're saying is when we make people go for their transcranial Doppler or their stroke screen, we're not playing around. No, it's important because, you know, I think um, what we found and, and it's borne out over time is that if you get this screening, you can identify a stroke before it happens, before you you know, develop neurologic deficits and have problems and prevent it. And by doing that, we've gone from 10 or 12% of folks having a stroke to, you know, one or 2%. So by getting your stroke screen, you can decrease your risk of having a stroke by, you know, 80 or 90%, um, which, which is amazing. There's not very many screenings that we do that are this important and have this much impact. Yeah, dude, that's just fantastic. And and it's like you said, it's non-invasive, so it, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't cause any side effects. So Dr. Julie Cantor recently published um, TCD rates in a pretty big consortium of sickle cell centers across the country, and we're way below the mark of where we need to be. Yeah, we're not doing a great job all, all over the country. So we, we got we we to do better. We got to get everybody yeah. to their TCD appointments. If you're listening screen. to this, if you're listening to this, guys, and you have a child who has SS or S beta zero thalassemia, ask yourself right now, when is the last time they had their transcranial Doppler screening or their stroke screen? And if you can't remember, call your doctor and get one scheduled. Absolutely. Okay. All right, Dr. Mike, thank you for breaking down that really important word for us today. Thanks, Dr. Z. So, Dr. Mike, you broke down for us today the word transcranial Doppler stroke screen. And it's okay, I hope it's okay that I do a little bit of your work in the beginning of this. I'm Set always happy to have you, you do my work, Dr. Z. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, so, what I, I think that the study we want to talk about today is one that has um, pretty important implications. And... You know, this comes out of Cincinnati, and, and, and Cincinnati Children's Hospital has a legendary sickle cell doctor who hopefully we can eventually get on the podcast named Russell Ware. We had Pat McGann on, who's a Russell Ware disciple, um, but we haven't been able to get, you know, Dr. Russell Ware on yet, mostly because we haven't asked, actually. But the context here is looking at patients who have shown themselves to be high risk for stroke using that stroke screen, using that transcranial Doppler. And historically, what would happen is if you have a child who has an abnormal stroke screen, that child would end up on blood transfusions. And that child would stay on blood transfusions. But Dr. Callahan, recently we've been having different conversations and, and tell us a little bit about the Twitch trial. Yeah, so like you said, Dr. Z, if you have an abnormal stroke screen because of the STOP trial, we, we would say you should go on transfusions. That can prevent 90% of, of strokes. And because of STOP2, we would say you need to be on that indefinitely, maybe your whole life, because we know if we stop it, your risk of stroke goes back up. 
this group led by Russell Ware, and we were a part of it here uh, as well, Dr. Sarnayak from our groups and author on the study and uh, really nationwide group of experts in sickle cell and, and um, patients from all over the country were involved in this study called Twitch. Dr. Ware likes to put itch at the end of all of his studies. <laughs> yeah. But this one's called hydroxycarbamide, which again is another name for hydroxyurea, versus uh, chronic transfusions for maintenance of transcranial Doppler flow velocities in children with sickle cell anemia. TCD with transfusions changing to hydroxyurea twitch, a multi-center open label phase three non-inferiority study. So I'm going to break that down. So this was a study to see if you could come off those transfusions. But we knew you couldn't just come off of those transfusions. You needed something that was going to replace the transfusions and protect you. And so hydroxyurea has been, you know, the, the best drug we had for a long time for a lot of things. And so the question was, could you switch from transfusions to hydroxyurea and still prevent your, um, your strokes? And so this, this was an open-label study, which you kind of have to do in this case. That means that the people in the study know what they're getting. It's hard to fake transfusions or have people take placebo pills and get fake transfusions. So everybody kind of had to know what they were getting. And it's a phase three study. So this was a big study to really answer the question. And it's a non-inferiority study. So sometimes when you're testing out a new treatment, like in this case hydroxyurea to prevent strokes, you want to see, is it better? And sometimes you just say, well, you know what? If it's not worse, then we would use it because it's a pill. It gets you off transfusions. If it's not worse than transfusions, then we'd use it. And you design the study a little bit differently. So this one was designed to really show that hydroxyurea wasn't worse at preventing strokes than um, blood transfusions. So this was done at 26 centers throughout the U.S. and Canada. And the People who were enrolled on the study had to be 4 to 16 years old. They had to have a positive stroke screen in the past, more than 200 centimeters per second, that got them onto a transfusion protocol, but not severe vasculopathy. So what that means is, you know, sometimes people who have abnormal stroke screens, it's because the blood vessels in their head have been really severely damaged, and you might see that on an MRI. And so they didn't want patients with really severe um, blood vessel problems to go on this. Then the um, 160 patients enrolled and 121 were eligible and got screened and randomized. So they basically flipped a coin and you either stayed on your transfusions or you went on to hydroxyurea. And the way they did this was really um, focused a lot on safety. So they didn't just stop your transfusions and start the hydroxyurea. They started the hydroxyurea while you were on the transfusions and then escalated the dose over time to maximum tolerated dose. Um, so, so that's, you know, by monitoring the blood counts, um, we can make sure you're not having too much suppression of your white blood cells from hydroxyurea, um, but keep going up on the dose to get more fetal hemoglobin, more beneficial effect until we get to that spot where you're at, you know, ha having problems or at the max dose. So they did that. And then there was a point when the fetal hemoglobin got up to a level that they felt was safe to come off the transfusions when then the transfusion stopped. And then this is a really cool thing with this study. You know, transfusions are great at preventing strokes, but they have a lot of issues that come with them. So you can have antibodies against blood. Um, you know, people worry a lot about blood transmitted infections, although they're quite rare. Um, but there are a lot of other things that can happen. You can have transfusion reactions. And one of the biggest problems um, is you get iron, a lot of iron, and it can accumulate and you can have problems um, related to having too much iron in your body. It can damage your liver, especially. Um, it can affect your endocrine organs like your thyroid gland and your pancreas, and it can affect your heart. And so a lot of times we have people on medicines to try to keep that iron as low as possible, um, but it's not always possible to keep it that low and, and you can have problems from the iron. So one nice thing about going on this hydroxyurea is they could draw off blood and get rid of iron. And by doing that, they were able to get people's iron levels down as well. So 
the outcomes that they were looking at from the study were what happened to the transcranial Doppler velocities in patients um, when they were on the transfusions or the hydroxyurea. Now you might say, well, what we really want to know is did the hydroxyurea prevent strokes? But it, it's it's hard to do that because um, you'd have to follow a lot of patients for a really long time to get enough strokes in one arm and another arm, and you don't really want to have a study where you're letting people have strokes. So they decided to use a proxy measure, a test to, that they know correlates with the risk of, of having a stroke. So they measured these um, transcranial Doppler velocities in the patients on the transfusions and on the hydroxyurea during and at the end of the, the study. And what they found was that this worked very nicely. So the 121 patients, 61 of them stayed on their transfusions, 60 of them switched to the hydroxyurea. Um, And what they found was that the the velocities were actually lower in the hydroxyurea. So the hydroxyurea seemed to be working actually a little bit better at improving the the blood flow in the study. Um, And actually, even though it wasn't designed to see superiority, um, it, it showed superiority. There were no strokes um, in either group. Um, there were three transient um, events, so not full strokes, but um, like minor reversible strokes that occurred in each group. So the same in both groups. Um, so no difference there. And, and they did MRIs um, at the end of the study too and at the beginning, and, and they didn't find any changes related to new strokes in, in either group. There were adverse events in um, nine patients for hydroxyurea and in six patients for the, the transfusions. The most common events in both groups were pain episodes, and there were 11 um, pain episodes in the hydroxyurea group and three in the transfusion group. So it does look like... Um, you do have a little bit more pain if you switch to the hydroxyurea than you would if you stayed on your transfusions. But both groups, the rate of pain was actually lower than, than uh, you might expect in a general sickle cell population. They were also able to dramatically lower the iron levels in the patients on the hydroxyurea. So the punchline is that um, it is safe not inferior, in fact, possibly superior to blood transfusions. Hydroxyurea is, is possibly superior in terms of um, improving transcranial Doppler ultrasounds and, and preventing stroke. Um, it also helps with improving iron. I should say, you know, caveat hydroxyurea, you have to take for it to work. So, you know, we worry if patients are missing doses, if they come off the hydroxyurea, um, then they're at risk of stroke again. So I, I think that's really important to note that, you know, this might not be for everybody. Also, maybe a little bit more pain episodes. So this was published um, in the Lancet in February of 2016. Yeah, Lancet's a great journal. And um, since that time, we, we have had many patients in our center um, go through this protocol in, in regular practice um, and move on to hydroxyurea. And, um, you know, many have been successful and are very happy to be off of transfusions and they just come for their regular uh, hydroxyurea visits and they're doing very well. Um, We've definitely had some people who had trouble uh, taking their hydroxyurea all the time or getting their fetal hemoglobin levels up to a good level um, to, to stay on the therapy and have switched back to transfusions or never really made it off of the transfusions. Um, but this is another option. So I, I think it was a great study, a great idea, a great study, and, and a, another good option to prevent strokes um, for our uh, folks who have abnormal stroke screens. Dr. Mike, I appreciate you breaking that study down for us yet again. And um, thank you for making this tangible, digestible, and accessible for us and the Warriors. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Dr. Z. All right, Dr. Callahan. Another good one. There goes another episode of Cheat Codes. I love the poetry. We don't have enough poetry on Cheat Codes, Dr. Z. Man, I'm telling you. I mean, that's just a different kind of talent. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm thrilled that we were able to have Blaze on and have him share his experience, a unique experience. Uh, but, man, I, I just 
I feel empowered after hearing him speak today. Me too. Was, uh, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to the musical. Yeah, same. We covered a lot of good stuff, man. Transcranial Dopplers, Twitch, Russell Ware. You know, and we talked a little bit about uh, navigating the ER. So, so all in all, I think this was, um, you know, a, a nice Packed little discussion. Episode. Yeah, jam-packed. So let's give the Warriors some of their time back. Um, you know, if you're a Warrior listening to this and you think there's somebody who could benefit from hearing what was discussed on this podcast, share it with them. Uh, like and subscribe. Follow me at Dr. Z Sickle Cell and follow Dr. C at and me at Imagineer. Imagineer. Follow at Cheat Codes Pod on Instagram and uh, keep living well with Sickle Cell. Uh, that's all we've got for you this week. We'll catch you next time. Peace.